Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 163. Embracer Group claims layoffs are how, quote, we will win. Ew. Oh, man. Like, I read that, and it was a while ago. Because we were supposed to record last week. We were supposed to record a couple of weeks ago. There have been some things. As as many of you know, we're going to take a moment before we dive in. This is actually our second to last episode of the year. We are recording next week, uh, and it's going to be a slightly different episode. There's going to be some discussion in there. We have a lot of listener questions that we're bumping into that episode. We're going to be talking about our favorite things of 2023. Um, some cool things uh, that, that we've gotten a chance to play and ways that we've engaged in the medium. We're, it's going to be a slightly different format than we're used to. We'll have some of the, the core elements. But uh, before we dive in, and we are going to start with Embracer Group, um, I want to give Amanda a couple of minutes because the reason we weren't able to record is we had some unexpected disruption. Yeah, so the unexpected disruption is that last Tuesday, uh, Tiny Build shut down my studio, Hackjack Studios, and I'm not super comfortable going into it on air especially, but even in private, it's just not something I want to talk about right now. What I will talk about is the immense gratitude that I have for my team for my former studio manager, director, I'm not sure what you call Jed, but... Who's head of the studio? Jed's the guy. Yeah. Jed's the goat, quite frankly. And I just, like I said, I'm just, I'm full of gratitude and, and love for this team. I'm really sad that we're not going to be able to bring you guys Pigeon Simulator. Because Pigeon Simulator, we were three days from shipping our demo, our new demo that we spent months reformatting and figuring out. And I was, I just, I know some folks listen to this show from my team and I just want to say, I'm proud of each and every one of you. I love you all immensely and we will find a way to work together again. And we will find a different game to ship. Even if what we do is we ship it on our own time. Yeah. I, um, there are going to be, we are going to cover, uh, in the labor report, what happened at Tiny Build, it will be very factual uh, for a number of reasons that those of you who listen to this show will immediately understand uh, and don't need us to spell out. Uh, but we, we aren't going to ignore it. But no. uh, it is going to be a blip in a otherwise, once again, really rough labor report. This is probably the worst labor report, and not just from a personal perspective, but this is probably the worst, th this is the worst context because we are, we were what, like a couple of days away from Hanukkah? We were, yeah. When, when I got, when I got laid off, it's the holiday season, there are so many studios that have just laid off hundreds and hundreds of people. This close to the holidays. And I don't think we're done yet. It's December 15th, and I have this funny <clears> feeling <throat> that we are still going to get one more wave before... I have a feeling next Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. 
and, and I that's hate gross. It. It's I hate it. it's so gross. But uh, we are going to jump in and start off with uh, speaking of gross. Speaking of gross with the embracer group. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat this story. To be don't, clear, don't don't em- sugarcoat it. Let's just let's dive in. Let's em- be real. Embracer Group in its Q2 earnings report put a number to its sweeping layoffs up until September 30th, which was the end of the quarter. Up to that point, the company had laid off 904 people, and we know that number is now over a thousand. Yes, we do. Um, it's it's gross. Uh, this is all fallout from Embr- Embracer's failure to close a two billion dollar deal with the Saudi government which has put the company in the in debt to the tune of $1.5 billion, as we've talked about multiple times on this show. The issue is that companies <clears throat> gorged themselves on cheap debt. They cheap did? Cheap money. They- during the pandemic, went on acquisition sprees, and didn't know what they were going to do. F- assumed they would figure it out mm-hmm. later. Assumed that the, that the good times mm-hmm. would continue to roll. It's that part. It's the blind optimism and playing with people's lives. And quite frankly, and I hate to turn the the focus on uh, effectively independent developers or developers who were independent, but if you sold your company to an embracer group or another company like that, and you weren't thinking about the future and you didn't take care of your employees some of the blame is honestly on your shoulders. And I hate to say that because you're talking about people who probably thought, like, were, were caught up in, oh my gosh, look at how great this is. Look at how great it's going to be for our studio without thinking. And there are some independent developers, some independent studios that are have brilliant business minds behind them. But and they still suffered. And they still yeah. suffered. And we will talk about that because I'm glad that you brought that up because League of Geeks, you want yeah. to talk about brilliant business strategy. League of Geeks has been around for as long as they've been around because of that. Yes. And when we get there, I would say that <laughs> it was probably the most ethical handling of a necessary layoff to save the studio. But again, we're talking about actions taken at an independent studio versus actions taken at large and at some of the largest companies in this industry where we have not even Publicly, seen the gesture of executive pay cuts. No, not even the gesture. I mean, we see executive pay cuts at Nintendo. At Nintendo. Yeah, Awada, Awada cut his salary when they had to avoid layoffs. Wasn't it like almost in half? Yes. It was nearly in yeah. half. It, the way the way Iwata ran, you know what? A legend. Yeah. A absolutely. Legend, now, I don't legend. agree with every decision no. make, with every decision that Nintendo has made. But I think that if you look at what Nintendo has done from a taking care of employees perspective, eh. eh in this sort case. Of. Sort of. I don't want to put. I, I do not want to want to make a sweeping statement because there have been times where Nintendo is not. Many times yeah. we don't stand corporations in this house. Right. We can, however, look at the business decisions and say, you know what, that was in favor of labor. Yep. And as anybody knows by listening to this show, even though we are a business podcast, we are a labor podcast. Yep. And we are going to talk a little bit about Microsoft later, who <clears throat> has not been perfect here either. Um, and there's a lot of stuff going on there, but at least they are standing by their labor neutrality agreement. Yeah. With um, with the Communication Workers of America and has voluntarily recognized. Um, not just the not just the Communication Workers of America, like right, but in just, general. But that was an agreement that 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 CWA co-signed. Yes. Um, all right, so let's jump into embrace. Let's jump back into Embracer Group. Um, so we talked a little bit about why this is happening. So when you have interest rates that are low, right? And I know we've talked about this on the show, but I but it is important context for Embracer Group. When interest rates are low, you can leverage debt. Which yeah. means that if you are 
acquiring debt, acquiring money at a low interest rate, and you are able to make a better rate of return on the investment of that money, you are leveraging your debt. You are, you are using it in the right way. As interest rates go up, money becomes more expensive. <clears throat> debt becomes more expensive. You That's can't correct. do that. You can't leverage. So, so it becomes a, it becomes a toxic liability. Yep. And we're going to talk about this later. And this will be one thing that we talk about when we do get to tiny build just a bit about what they're attempting to do. But this is why Embracer was looking for a $2 billion equity investment. That's not debt. That is somebody who is investing in the company. Yeah. And of course it was the Saudi government, which we have talked about their human rights violations, how they're trying to sports wash their reputation, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And we will, we will never stop talking about that just to be clear and not just because we're former journalists. Mm -hmm. Uh, so how did Embracer do this quarter? Uh, net sales increased 13% to 10.8 billion SEK. Uh, it's $1.03 billion, which isn't as good as it sounds. And because this is we have been measuring Embracer's growth over the course of the last five years with regards to their organic growth. Right. And we are doing that here. So they made some acquisitions a year ago. However, they're again, they shrunk 2% organically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Again, we're still seeing Embracer Group skewed by acquisition. Um, PC console games uh, at the company decreased 5% to 3.9 BSEC. That's $374.1 million. Again, severely skewed by acquisitions. Organic decrease was 17%. That's a huge hit, folks. That is very, very big. Um, it was a strong quarter for new releases. Remnant 2. Yay! Uh, which I, we love the first Remnant game. In fact, uh, definitely want to go back and finish that and play Remnant 2. They've done some amazing things. Gunfire Games was one of the studios Maybe that's born. our new co-op game for me and you. Yeah, you, me, and James? I mean, we, well, if James wants to. I don't know. I don't know. He likes Soulsy games, and that's co-op. I really like uh, Remnant. I think this, the world building is fascinating. It's and delicious. I do want to go back and play the, the original game in that universe, which was originally a VR game, but I think they released it at flat screen. I can't, I can't do VR, bro. It's not a first person VR game. It's oh like a, it's like a, uh, like a top down. Oh, that's it's an isometric. Better. Oh, that's way better. I can't game. do first person. I, I don't normally get motion sick, but VR makes me motion yeah. sick. Uh, so gunfire games is owned by Embracer underneath Gearbox. So that's remnant two. Payday three has had quote mixed reception and performance that was published by play on developed by Starbreeze, which we'll surprising. talk about. Uh, other successes, Risk of Rain Returns, Teardown for Consoles, done really, really well. And Remnant 2's first DLC, The Awakened King. Um, mobile games increased 2% to 1.47 BSEC, or $140.8 million. But again, organic growth was actually a loss, a decrease of 10%, uh, although that's actually an improvement over Q1. Okay, interesting. Yeah, uh, Embracer is spending more on user acquisition, mm -hmm. and we're seeing this across the mobile segment, and we have been for the last 18 months or so. Uh, tabletop games increased 25% to 4.07 BSEC or $389.5 million. Only 15% of that growth was organic. Focus on trading card games. Honestly, I, I do think that Fantasy Flight, which is owned by Asmodee, which is owned by Embracer, um, is set up for an amazing 2024. We played, and we'll talk about PAX Unplugged in the next episode. Uh, we played Star Wars Unlimited, which Ooh. is a trading card game or a collectible card game. It's not a living card game, it's which is... Good. It's fantastic. And it's quite frankly, we played both uh, Star Wars Unlimited and uh, Lorcana, Disney Lorcana, and we liked Star Wars so much better. And not just because we're huge Star Wars nerds. Mechanically, Star Wars Unlimited does some of the same things as Lorcana, but does them better. It's not even well, okay. We'll we'll talk about that in our PAX episode. There's yep. there's lots to there's lots to unpack when it comes to the actual uh, 
mechanics of a, of a truly great trading card game. Mm-hmm. And I've been playing um, collectible card games and trading card games since I was our, do- our youngest daughter's age. Yep. Quick side note on that. I'm getting back into Netrunner. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to play on Jinteki.net, which is the online platform for playing Netrunner, you just hit me up. Um, additionally, <laughs> I don't know if you... You probably did know this, and I didn't realize this. So I knew that Netrunner was a Richard Garfield game. Yes. Yeah. Who, and Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic... One of the creators of Magic the Gathering. Uh, did you know that Richard Garfield did uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle? I actually did know that. See? Very cool. Um, all right. Uh, wrapping up Embracer. Entertainment and services increased 76% to 1.38 BSEC. That's $132.1 million. Uh, this is licensing revenue. Remember, Embracer owns Middle Earth Enterprises now, and the Magic the Gathering Lord of the Rings set did very, very well. Good for them. Uh, earnings before interest and taxes was <clears throat> uh, a loss of 836 MSEC or $80 million. Forecasting remains constant, no changes. And our episode title comes from this interview uh, that Phil Rogers... Uh, who was acquired by Embracer with the Square Enix Western Studios Ugh. gave to Games Industry. Uh, Rogers is currently the interim chief strategy officer at Embracer. He acknowledged the severity of the layoffs, but also claimed, quote, this is how we win. Here's the full quote. We talk about how we improve our efficiency, our cash generation. How do we transform ourselves into a leaner, stronger, more focused, and critically, and critically cash self-sufficient company? Rogers said to GamesIndustry.biz. And I think these have been really good challenges for the whole business to lean into. Oh, no. It's got a lot of good conversations going across the business. My guy, this is not the sentiment that you give in the middle of massive layoffs. You have laid off now, as of when we're recording this, more than a thousand people. You are doing EA and Activision scale layoffs. You are shutting down studios. You've shut down not just studios, but legendary studios. And I'm, I, I'm looking very specifically at Volition. Yeah. I really am. I'm never, ever going to forgive them for shutting down Volition. Volition was the heart of, yeah. of, a, of a lot of development yeah, in, in the Chicago area. Yeah, very crucial to the Midwest development scene. Um, obviously, both of our dogs have now entered the office. You will hear them. <laughs> they love it when we record the show. Um, <clears throat> now, look, I, I do want to say that he does go on to call the layoffs, quote, an agonizing process. But it's really hard to align that sentiment with the actions and and with the other sentiments. Like, this is not the time to put a rosy picture for investors on, oh, yeah, we're just leaning in, everybody. We're leaning into these challenges. Yeah, you know who's challenged right now? The people you laid off right before the holidays. Those people are challenged. You know, this is a 2024 thing to talk about, potentially. Let people get through the holidays and do it in a way that's tactful. This is not tactful. No. Uh, as we said, Embracer Group has not stated that executives have reduced their salaries even temporarily in the wake of massive business blunders. And these are business blunders, by the way. This is bad strategy. This is bad business management. And your workers are paying this the price is, for it. Honestly, let's call a spade a spade. This is toxic. Toxic capitalism? Oh, this no. is toxic positivity. Yes, this it is. This is toxic positivity. Wrong time. Wrong sentiment. You know what? Maybe it's the time to shut up. It's and, and right I'm, now it is the time to shut up, to take care of your workers, and to and to just 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 be quiet. And whomever up at Embracer Corporate <clears throat> PR Corpcoms said, you know what, yeah, go do an interview and talk about how great these challenges are and how we're gonna come out stronger. No. No, because the because the Embracer thing is not just Embracer Group. This is a domino effect that it we are seeing across the industry. Specifically in Europe. Yep. Um, Embracer also says its restructure is, quote, still in the early phases. We're going to endure a lot more pain before this is over. 
No, it's Folks, this, this is, is this is and, and I want to be blunt about this. <clears throat> when do you think we're going to start seeing a turnaround? Specifically with Embracer no, or in the industry? industry? We'll start seeing a turnaround more than likely in 2025. We'll start to see it, but it'll start up at AAA and oh, then yeah. it'll trickle down. Optimistically. Optimistically 2025, realistically probably 2027. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think optimistically we're going to see the first signs. It's going to be the first little bits of grass starting to sprout through in Q4 of next year, potentially. But I did also see a very interesting point. That the reason this year is so strong in the quality of games is because the pandemic forced AAA studios especially to get a grip about capitalism. Get a grip about the realities of making great games and people were afforded more time in a situation where they were dealing with, let's be real, we were all dealing with a lot during the pandemic, but people deal with a lot on a regular basis anyway. Affording that time led to the creativity and quality that we get today. It led us to a Baldur's Gate 3. It led us to a Spider-Man 2. It led us to a Final Fantasy 16, right? It led us to a year where some of the best games aren't even vying for award nomination award contention on the short lists probably when we get to dice and gdc the awards that matter we'll talk about it next week um <laughs> but i i think that what we're going to see now with the 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 harm that has been done to work for, to the workforce uh especially emotionally and that's not just the people who were laid off that's the people who survive there is sur- uh, there is uh, survivor's guilt there is survivor's guilt uh, how, i like a hundred percent like we could we could talk about the effects of survivor's guilt all day because they're the the layoffs have been devastating they really have and we're we're not gonna we're never we're never not gonna to cover them but it especially this episode it is this is going to be really painful yeah so I guess I just want to say, please, 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 as we move into 2024, 2025, 2026, and if we do see a dip in the number of games that are rising to the level of what we're seeing in this year. Just know why. Yeah, just know why. Do not lose sight of 2023. This one's going to be burned into our brains for decades to come, just like 2019 is burned into 2000 our 2000 and 2008, 2009 Absolutely. was the last time that we saw something this enormous. Yep. And it wasn't even to this scale. It no. just, it wasn't. No. Because the, the industry wasn't that big It was yet. EA, it was Activision, and it was a handful of others. We're talking probably 2,000, 3,000 jobs, if I had to guess. Again, I'm pulling that number from memory, not from anything but right it was, in front of me. It was tough, and I, re- I remember it, and I remember how difficult it was to read, to read, you know, to read about it. Even back then, we didn't have a lot of labor reporting mm-hmm. back then, but that. This is going to take time. Optimistically, I think that we will start to see a turnaround in 2025. By 2027, we should be recovered. But that's so many years in the future. And there are so many amazing developers. There are so many amazing creatives that are all vying for the same jobs right now. And Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say about this before we move on to Starbreeze is... I genuinely hope my hope for the future is that it doesn't it games are amazing. Game developers are amazing. Games are miracles. But the people are the things that matter. Mhm. And my hope for the new year, my 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 weird little 
optimistic, lovey-dovey, care bear Christmas wish is every developer that has been tossed aside this year finds a job. I, I, gosh, finds I a job happy, that, that makes, that makes them happy, that fills their cup. And if you are feeling despair, if you're hurting, if there's an ache in your chest that you can't explain to yourself, you, you know what, we, we talk about our discord, come into our discord. Our discord is a safe space and it's mm-hmm. okay to come talk. So, yeah. cause I feel that too. So anyway, I can't talk about this anymore right now cause I'm going to get all weepy. So let's, let's go ahead and move along to Starbreeze's earnings for Q3 of fiscal 2023. Overall, it's been a damn good quarter for Starbreeze. How mm-hmm. have I, I, it's, I can't remember the last time I was able to say that. Yeah. I, uh, it's a really, I, we thought they were doomed. I, you know what? We love a comeback kit. Yep. We do. And it all started with Walking Dead Overkill getting yanked. Also, Skybound. I don't think we have. That's not true. Oh. That's actually not true. So for those that don't know, Mike and I have been reporting specifically on Starbreeze's tumble, um, tumble into hard times after Behaviors Interact, at Behavior Interactive's publishing deal. Oh, on uh, Dead by Daylight, just a tiny game, really. Like, no one's ever played it. Like, I mean, who's imagine, even heard of it? imagine if that deal <laughs> hadn't ended, how much money Starbreeze would be They would, would be, be rolling, rolling in it. Yeah. They would be absolutely be rolling in it. Um, and that wrapped up, actually, in 2018. And so they've been a full through a full restructure. They've sold off so many publishing assets. They sold off IP. They've honestly worked fairly diligently to ensure that the company didn't fully fall off of a cliff. Now, they still have a long, long way to go. So let's jump into some of the numbers. So net sales for the quarter sat at 494.4 million sec or $48 million US, an astounding 1200% increase year over year. But we already knew that was going to happen because yep. payday three came yep. out. Operating costs were fairly steady. Direct costs amounted to um, 164.7 million sec. And I completely forgot to do the conversion No, that's on me. That I missed one. that one. Um, and consist of costs linked to game production and game development. So the earnings... So that's about $16 million. Uh, yeah, I think so. So earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, or EBITDA, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, amounted to $460 million sec, or $44.7 million. You know, they're doing better than Embracer. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the impact of payday, though. Mm-hmm. Because for the most part... Starbreeze is a one-trick pony. They are right now, yeah. They are. And that's not to say that it's going to stay that way, but right now they are. So Payday 2, and remember, so we're talking about their net sales. So their net sales were sitting at 494.4 million sec. Payday 2 accounted for 51.6 million sec, or $5 million. Mm -hmm. Payday 3 accounted for 440.8 million sec, or $42.8 million. That is almost all of their revenue. Mm Mm-hmm. This is worrisome. It really is very worrisome to me because there still isn't enough diversification in their revenue. And we know that they're working on developing new IP. They talked about it in the in their earnings report. But that's going to require more investment over time, which is really risky in this mm-hmm. economic environment. Developing new IP right now is something that a lot of publishers are not willing to take risks on. It's also... We typically see, it's not that we don't see new IP in the middle of console generations. No, 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 no. However, we do see a spike in them at the beginning of console generations because people are in a newness mindset. That's right. So they are interested. It's like, oh, what is this new game? I mean, also, quick little side note, I think Capcom renewed its, uh, or filed a new trademark for Deep Down. 
I mentioned that because it was at the very beginning. It was at the PS4 reveal that we saw deep down, Capcom's deep down for the first time. Oh, true. Um, I forgot about that. That was a zillion years ago. Yep. So that game, who knows? Um, but yeah, we tend to see uh, a heavier emphasis on uh, sequels, known IP, the further you get into a generation. It's true. And that that's obviously continuing to be the case here. But it's, it's also because publishers are exceptionally risk averse right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And as much as they have been doubling down into their first party development because many of them purchase studios, we've all seen how that's gone. Mm-hmm. Nearly all of the net sales from this quarter were accounted for, okay, sorry, accounted for PC sales with almost nothing in console sales, at least by comparison. Interesting. I thought that was an interesting, noteworthy thing to uh, to mm-hmm. talk about. So okay. Starbreeze, I'm always, I'm always rooting for the comeback kid. I may not be a Payday fan, but, you know, I'm a fan of people keeping their jobs and, yeah. you know. So here we go. All right. Moving on. After a three plus year battle, Epic has come out victorious in its fight against Google over anti-competitive practices related to the Google Play Store and its payment (laughs) processing. It's a relatively shocking verdict after the Apple, uh, after Epic pretty much got the floor wiped. They they, did. Apple wiped the floor with Epic in their uh, lawsuit. Uh, the shocking uh, verdict does not include monetary awards for Epic, which did not request financial compensation. Instead, Epic asked the court to ensure that anyone can put an app store on Android and implement their choice of payment processor. We are waiting to find out how the judge is going to handle this in terms of settling out this suit. Uh, so how did Ap- Epic win here when it lost against Apple? Well, the big difference was that Apple, the Apple suit was a bench trial. Yes. So you had one with, judge who was making the determination. With Judge Gonzalez. Yes. Uh, this was a jury trial. Oh, that would be why. Yes. That would be why. Sentiment of humans. Yes. As opposed to looking at the cold, hard facts and comparing it to the law. Exactly. Yeah, got it. Uh, so where do we go from here? We do expect that Google is going to appeal. Uh, but how it might impact the industry is unclear after the loss against Apple and the Supreme Court's denial to hear Epic's appeal in the Apple matter. Um, like. We do know that Epic has invested a king's ransom in this suit and in the meantime laid off a huge number of people. So what did this cost? About 850 workers' livelihoods. Not worth Not it. Worth it. Not, Not worth it. Not worth it. Um, this was hubris. And I'm I'm really, I'm really, uh, yeah. My heart feels really broken, honestly, just in general. That's even, even just a few people losing their jobs over a crusade like that is not worth it. Yep. So... Well, we'll see what this, what kinds of ripple effects this is going to have because um, Google does have a fairly, or sorry, sorry, Android phones do have a fairly significant big bucks, big market bucks. share. There it is. There, I got there. I didn't get there either. Woo. It's Brain a, meets. It's been a tough one. So Android has a fairly significant market share globally, so it's probably going to have some really interesting ripple effects. But yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. Hopefully this means that uh, Fortnite can start making money on Android again. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and Fortnite is poised to, I mean, especially with the release of three huge experiences within Fortnite. Um, Interesting IP collaborations. Yes. All right. Uh, Final big story at the top of the show. We have the Circana report on U.S. video game spending for October 2023. We will have the November report in the next episode. We didn't want to just skip over October because each month is so meaningful this year. It is, yeah. Uh, well, so we didn't want to just they're meaningful by. every year, yeah. and it's really important that we that we give this this um, snapshot. So, video game spending in the U.S. was down in October by five percent year over year, 
to $4.03 billion. The full year is still up, however, 2% to $43.4 billion. And we want you to remember that for next uh, for our next episode because just a little preview, that has shrunk. Yes, which is unusual, especially in November in the United States. Yes. Uh, hardware spending dropped precipitously in October, a whopping 23% to $327 no. million. Again, hold on to this because this is going to play up when we talk next week. Hardware spend for the full year is still up 6% to $4.03 billion. All current-gen consoles dipped by double-digit percentages in dollar sales. PS5 was in first, Xbox Series in second uh, in dollar sales, Switch was second in unit sales. Uh, remember, Switch is nearing end of life. That is going to be a big story as we, as we go through 2024. Yep, very true. So on the software side, software spend dropped 4% to $3.56 billion in large part due to a shift in Call of Duty release timing. Remember, last year, Call of Duty came out in October, and it came out in November of this year. So we'll see how things are shaping up in our next episode. Year-to-date software spend is up 1% to $37.6 billion. Spider-Man 2 was the best seller for October. No big surprises there and already the fourth best seller for the year. It was also the best physical release for the month. Spidey 2 sales outpaced Spidey 1's one, Spidey launch month dollar sales by double-digit percentage. Yeah, I'm not entirely surprised. Again, the power of a sequel to a very, very, very strong game. Yes, absolutely. Um, Super Mario Brothers Wonder debuted at number two, and just a quick reminder that this is just physical sales. Nintendo does not allow Circana to report digital sales. Correct. Assassin's Creed Mirage debuted at number three. Madden NFL 24 repeated at number four. EA Sports Football Club 24 dropped from number three to number five. Mortal Kombat 1 dropped from number two to number six. UFC 5 debuted at seven. NHL 24 debuted at number eight. Sonic Superstars debuted at number nine. Hogwarts Legacy dropped from number nine to number ten, and we have some additional notables. We do indeed. Metal Gear Solid Master Collection V1 debuted at number 12. Starfield dropped all the way from number 1 to number 14. The Crew Motorfest dropped from number 7 to number 16. And Forza Motorsport debuted at number 17. That's actually not bad for a full sim. Yeah, uh, for a sim racing game. For a full sim racing game, that's actually not too bad. Yep. Lords of the Fallen, the sequel to Lords of the Fallen, <laughs> debuted at number 20. Uh, and Roblox debuted in October on PlayStation and was fourth on the platform in monthly active users behind Modern Warfare 2, Fortnite, and Spider-Man 2. On the mobile side, spend actually increased for the first time this year. Mm. Increased 2.1%. The top titles ranging... Um, the range shift is the in The range shift is in parentheses. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. That was very strange. Sorry. Very it's the way they report it, and it was no, just... No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Uh, no surprises here. Monopoly Go continuing to absolutely No one's going to touch it. it. No one's going to touch it. That game is doing just bonkers balls money right now. Like, Pokemon Go in the early years money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Royal Match, Roblox, Candy Crush Saga, Pokemon Go, Coin Master, Jackpot Party Casino Slots. Which climbed two spots. Climbed two spots. Gardenscapes fell a slot. Township climbed a slot. Clash of Clans getting back in there, climbing eight spots. Yep. 
finally, for the Circana Report uh, accessories, spending fell 2% to $147 million. Year-to-date spend is up 1% to $1.75 billion. Uh, the PlayStation 5 DualSense Midnight Black was the best seller for the month. Uh, one little note from Matt uh, Piscatella uh, over at Circana mm-hmm. uh, with regard to the November report, which, again, we'll talk about next week. Uh, he is, at this point, very, very confident that Circana's pro- uh, projections at the beginning of the year that we were going to grow 3%, they're, the industry is going to miss that. Yeah, that's And based surprising. on what we're seeing, again, little spoiler... I think we're probably going to settle out at 1% growth. You know what? That makes sense. It does. But remember, we were down down last year, right? We were. Yeah, we were on a downward spin last year. And we talked about this. um, We talked about this and said that 2023 was going to be a challenging year for consumer spend, namely because we are in a recession Mm -hmm. and people are struggling out there. Absolutely. All right. Um... We actually have a number of stories in Investment Interlude. We do indeed. And before we get to them, it's time for a quick break. And we're back. Let's dive right into investment interlude. Yeah. Uh, kicking off with, uh, this is actually, I think, the second episode in a row where we've had some framing uh, to, to investment interlude. Yep. Uh, PitchBook has released its Q3 2023 gaming report, and things are about as we expected. Deal making, so this is not just M&A, this is investments as well, uh, are down a bunch. For Q3's venture capital activity, there were 113 deals totaling just $857 million. Wow. This is down 10.3% consecutively, so from Q2 to Q3, and 35.3% uh, consecutively. So number of deals, down 10.3%, and, no, and dollars, down 35.3%. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that was that was written in a very confusing way. And I had way. to remember, because I wrote this a while ago, like, wait, why, is it, why are these both consecutive? Uh, year Look, to last date, week was hard. It was. Year-to-date, venture capital funding has shrunk 53.9% for number Yo. of deals and 76.1% for the value of those Whoa. deals. So when we talk about, obviously, if you're a longtime listener to the show, investment interlude has shrunk, uh, especially in the last 18 months, for a reason. However, 2023 is still likely to be a bit stronger than 2019, by just a little bit. Uh, However, recall that expectations were not a full reset to pre-pandemic times. We all expected that we would reset down a little bit, but it would still be better because we had acquired new players and uh, lapsed players. Correct. Uh, So this is actually worse than anticipated for all the reasons that we have been covering every week. So there's some interesting analysis here. Epic Games has raised $5.75 billion in venture capital funding. That's more than any other company in the industry. PitchBook puts Epic Games' IPO probability at 29% and its M&A probability at 69%, meaning that it could be acquired by somebody. There's a 69% chance someone will pick them up. Remember, Tencent already owns 40% of Epic Games. They do indeed. Uh, Remember Voodoo, the company that made its money on cloning? And I wrote that story for Variety about uh, how Hole.io ripped off Donut County. Oh, yeah, I sure do. I sure do. Yeah. They're in third place at $1.1 billion in funding. Remember, Goldman Sachs is a major investor. Oh, sure do remember that as well. That was a 
That was a very interesting story that you pursued, dear. It was it was definitely a weird one. Uh, their IPO probability is at 79%, but only 19% M&A probability. Interesting, huh? Very strange. Yep. All right, what's next? All right, let's talk about what's going on, uh, honestly, with NetEase. They have a new studio. Mm-hmm. And they don't just have a new studio. They have a new studio with headquarters located in my city oh. of Vancouver, British Columbia. I know that it has it in here as Vancouver, Canada. We are more than just a country. We have provinces. Please and thank you. Let's use them. All right, so the new game studio is called Untold Worlds, and it will be located in Vancouver, British Columbia. It is currently recruiting across a variety of roles for a fully remote work environment. The reason for this, my dear friends, is because real estate, especially commercial real estate in Vancouver, is so stupid expensive. There's a reason why we left. Just real estate in general, Mm -hmm. untenably expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. The studio is developing uh, AAA action adventure games with an emphasis on narrative and world building, creating franchises with, quote, endless possibilities. Worlds un- worlds Untold? Untold Worlds or Worlds Untold? Which is the correct? Uh, I think it's Untold Worlds, isn't it? Oh, hold on. Let me check my emails. Because, like, we have it in here. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the studio is led by Mac Walters, who is best known for his work on the Mass Effect series, where he worked at Bioware for nearly 20 years. Other notable humans at the studio, um, audio director Sotaro Tajima, who has over 20 years of experience in video game audio on titles like Metal Gear Solid and Halo, head of production Elizabeth Laytonin, who has worked on Dragon Age, The Sims, and Angry Birds, head of art Ramil Sunga, who has worked more than two decades of creative experience in various concept art roles on games like Mass Effect Andromeda, Anthem, and the entire lineup of Dragon Age titles as well as the head of technology, Ben Goldstein, with nearly two decades in the game industry, leading projects such as the next-generation Xbox One version of Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, PlayStation 4 version of For Honor, and most recently worked at Tesla and Cruise, uh, building out their respective simulation platforms. It's Worlds Untold. It is Worlds Untold. Yep. All right. UK-based VR developer Endreams has been acquired, acquired by Aonic. Aonic was already an investor in Endreams to the tune of $35 million, dating back to March 2022. Uh, they're behind a number, Endreams is behind a number of popular VR titles, including Synapse, Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord, and Power Wash Simulator VR. The deal is worth just shy of $110 million. Uh, Aonic also owns Warren Spector's Other Side Entertainment, currently working on System Shock 3, Hyperball Tournament developer Milky Tea, and Becom Studios, which just released a Pathfinder-themed Survivor's title. Interesting. All right. NordCurrent has acquired River End Games. NordCurrent, which is a mobile publisher behind Happy Clinic and Ocean's Heart, has purchased River End Games. Not really sure for how much money because they didn't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. River End Games is currently working on a single player PC and console project that's set to release in 2025. NordCurrent is very clearly looking to expand its portfolio to include more than just mobile games. Yep. Terms have not been disclosed. Infinity Ward opened a new studio in Texas to work on. Uh-huh, you guessed it. New Call of Duty games! Yay! Yay. Uh, the new Austin location joins other Infinity Ward studios in California, Poland, and Mexico, and the existence of the studio was tipped in job postings, which, uh, hey, at least there's job postings. At least there are job postings. VR developer and distributor Thirdverse has announced an $8 million funding round with participation from Bdash Ventures and Mitsubishi UFJ Capital. Uh, Hearst Newspapers, which owns a number of large regional papers across the United States, is following in the New York Times' footsteps. 
the company announced the purchase of Puzmo. Uh, this is a puzzle platform that was created by Zach Gage, who was uh, a New York-based developer, created yep. Spell Tower, Not Words, Really Bad Chess, Good Sudoku, and more. A uh, lot of really, really well done puzzle games, classic games with mm-hmm. a twist, like Zach Gage knows his stuff. Yep, and uh, Zach's not alone, working uh, with his uh, development partner, Orta Therox. Awesome. Uh, Puzmo kicked off in October with a huge wait list and more than 100,000 people competing for one of 500 keys to access the site. Yo, good yeah. for them. Really smart launch approach. And yeah. Zach's got the cred, like the, the puzzle design cred. Uh, to make this work. Absolutely. So. And quite frankly, the uh, the social capital. Mm-hmm. Right? Totally. Very, very cool stuff. Um, but now it's time for the Wario version, version, version of Investment Interlude. Divestment Interlude! Hew, 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 hew. <laughs> Divestment Interlude was a joke that I that I tossed at Manda, and she's like, yeah, we're keeping it. We're keeping it. We're keeping it forever. Congratulations. Yes. Now you know what it's like to live in our brains. It's yeah. very, very unpleasant. So, Mike, I have yes. a question for you. Yes. Did you hear about that wild success, Game of the Year, multi-award winning card game extraordinaire Marvel, Sla- Marvel Snap? I not only have heard of it, but up until I think it's two seasons now, like I've kicked my habit. Because I picked up my destiny habit again. Uh, but yes, I am very aware of Marvel Snap. Why do you ask, Manda? Well, because it's publisher Newverse, which is owned by uh, TikTok's owner ByteDance, uh, apparently is getting out of gaming. Like, altogether. Oh, yeah. I have another little, little thing to add on the end of this, too. So we're not sure what this means for developer Second Dinner and for Marvel Snap, although they do have job postings. They're clearly looking to scale their studio. They're doing good stuff. I mean, Ben Ben Brode gets it. Good dude. Very happy to see him and his company thriving. Um, so the studio has said the game will continue. So, like, don't panic. Yeah, be a hoopy fruit. Wow. Just wow. But it's not super reassuring given the circumstances. And part of the ease of moving the game to another publisher could have to do with how the licensing deal is worded. All right. Real quick note on this. Uh, Depending on your licensing deal, it may have a provision in there that it can't be transferred. Yes. Which means that uh, if they sell the studio and the licensing deal is with, or just if the licensing deal is with Netties and and Second Dinner goes independent, they're going to have to renegotiate their deal with Marvel. That's probably not going to be in their favor. Uh, at this point, because the, the game has made so much money, um, I think everybody wants it to succeed. So everybody's got... Everybody has a vested interest in it succeeding, but... But anytime you got to renegotiate a deal, some the power uh, has, we... has shifted in some way. Yeah. So it might probably... not... I mean, it might be good for Second Dinner because the game's so successful. I hope so, and I hope it allows them for, an, a, for a significant amount of leverage. Like I said, I have heard legitimately nothing but good things about, like, from folks that have worked um, either with Second Dinner mm-hmm. at, as contractors or are, are at the studio currently. Mm-hmm. Apparently it is, it, is, it is supposed to be really nice. Yeah. Um, side note on the whole bite dance thing. Uh, there is a report that has not yet been confirmed that they are getting out of VR as well. Uh, and that they are not going to bring the Pico 5 to market. I was about to say, I was like, oh, they were they were helping fund the new Pico. Yeah. Well, it's because they own... Right, like, right, right, Bytons yeah. Owns them. So, yeah. Uh, right. So that's that's very interesting. But another little, a little <sighs> side dish for this divestment interlude. Uh, closing out divestment interlude. <laughs> I really... I, I have a hard time keeping dinterlude. 
Well, I have a funny feeling we're going to be talking. This is going to be something that comes back in 2024. You mean in season five? In season five. Holy shit. <laughs> um, Pop says it wants to sell its media outlets, uh, Gamer Network, which includes Eurogamer, Games Industry, VG247, Rock Paper Shotgun, and others. Uh, as you might recall, Pop is an event organizer. Uh, we'll talk about PAX Unplugged, and which is one of the shows they run. They are deeply involved with PAX. They failed to bring E3 back. We'll talk about that later in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, they purchased Gamer Network and its outlets in 2018 for an undisclosed sum. Uh, this does have the potential to be devastating for journalism, especially in the UK where many of these sites are based. So yeah. our fingers are crossed for the people who are working at these sites. Uh, journalism especially is... Especially for, like, we do have friends at Games Industry, yeah. especially... Because we're both former business journalists. So, like, we would be at a lot of the same events, covering the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And it was always, like, high fives and and hugs. Lots of respect. Nothing but respect for... I mean, for all of these sites, just to be clear. Nothing but respect for these sites. But definitely for our good friends over at Games Industry, we are rooting for you Mm -hmm. 300%. The work that that Eurogamer does is incredible. Games Industry, you know... These are these are regular sources for our show. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so that's everything for investment interlude, divestment interlude, and uh, and everything in between. But now it's time for quick hits. All right, leading off quick hits today is actually some uh, a couple of interesting things going on with Fortnite with regards to both voice reporting and age ratings. So players will be able to submit audio evidence when they report suspected violations of Fortnite's community rules. This is something I didn't know. Voice reporting is always on for players under 18. This is just mm. as an FYI, which means that the last five minutes of voice chat audio is always captured on a rolling basis. So if somebody says something to you and it violates those community rules, and if you're a parent listening to this, make sure that you and your kids understand what the community guidelines look like so that if you do need to make a report, you know what you're reporting. Um, in addition to that, we have some new ratings. Mm. So the uh, so the island, so Fortnite has implemented ratings for their islands which is Fortnite's uh, published experiences. Yeah. So all of these these islands are going to be rated between E and T. So it'll be E, E10+, plus, or T rating. So nothing M-rated so far, and I'm not sure that'll ever change for Fortnite, not even as their player base ages. This is helpful for parents that preset their kids' content ratings in EGS mm-hmm. because that actually automatically applies or will automatically apply to Fortnite's islands as well. However, cosmetic age gating has been removed for now. Mm. Epic is trying to figure out how to better evaluate them for the future with a, quote, long-term solution. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take two has been sued over its virtual currency practices. They sure have. This is very interesting. So they're facing a class action lawsuit that accuses the company of, quote, theft and unlawful business practices. Mm-hmm. So why? Virtual currency is non-transferable between games and is lost once servers for older titles are deactivated. This is actually, there is no good reason why this has, why this should be the case. This, this is absolutely correct. If you're using virtual currency, now, I'm not saying that you have to have it bridge multiple titles, although if you are buying virtual currency and <coughs> in NBA, like why in that should be... NBA 2K in like... NBA 22, why that can't be... Why that, right, it's, in you should have the same wallet. You have the same account. 
Now yeah, your 2K wallet should just have your virtual currency. Right. Well, this is the thing. Like, if it's priced the same in WWE, the same bundles, right? Mm-hmm. There is no reason why you shouldn't be able to use your virtual currency across. I agree. Titles. But barring that, you should at least be able to use it within the same franchise. I agree. And there should be a way that there's a, a limited transfer with something to take care of players. Because this is not good customer service. It's not just good. Co- it's not just bad customer service. This is like, this is deeply toxic for, especially for kiddos, like minors that are purchasing these games year after year. This is like their game and they're buying it at, at like their parents are buying it for them at Christmas mm-hmm. time. They're investing money into the game over the course of a year. They get a new one at Christmas time and like everyone's like, but why can't we bring the currency forward? Oh, I think it's it's even more than even more than that because what you can do and I and I haven't done the investigation. I haven't looked at the prices and I haven't looked at how much packs cost. There is a way to engineer it with smart numbering, smart mathing, such that every player could have just a little bit left over or most players have just a little bit left over. And if you've seen office space, those pennies round, right? If you have a game as popular as NBA, and everybody's got a hundred points just hanging out there and packs cost a thousand or something uh-huh. like that. And because you, you, you know, whatever. And then you're just capturing that back. Right. That's because at some point, if those servers shut down, that was, you know, um, unearned revenue. Yeah. Potentially depending on how it's recorded, but that's money that they are then taking from players that could be converted over to play with the new game. So Hard agree. Um, the complaint was filed on November 17th in federal court for the Northern District of California by a minor's parents seeking, quote, equitable non-monetary and monetary relief for themselves and those whose in-game currency was removed from a 2K Games account from November 17th, 2019 to the present. Uh, so uh, in- included in that NBA 2K, WWE 2K, PGA Tour 2K, all mentioned. All of them are mentioned, yeah. What a story. Yep. Absolutely wild. Okay, so uh, another one for us. Frontier Developments has announced that the following that following the release of Warhammer Age of Sigmar Realms of Ruin, the company is actually going to be going through a major refocus. Realms of Ruin received mixed reviews. Uh, Metacritic had it at 67. It's mixed on Steam at about 65%. Though Frontier called it mostly positive. Sales were under expectations. The company will now be focusing on creative management simulation games like Planet Coaster, Planet Zoo, Jurassic World Evolution. All of these games, great games. are great. Yeah. Um, and each of them has grossed more than $100 million. As a result, Frontier is lowering their revenue guidance from £108 million pounds to £80 to £95 million. Pounds. I think this is part of the risk aversion that we are seeing in the industry as things get tougher. Paradox we, let it. Paradox let it. We're seeing it with Frontier. We're seeing this is part and parcel of the uh, large publishers not doing any external publishing anymore. Nope, they're focusing on their first party studios that are going to make them money. And at some point, if you are doing no publishing, you you're are, not a publisher. You're a label. You're a label. And I and honestly, I really, I really would love to see that very important, even though it's granular, difference being made. EA, they are not publishers. That is a label. Yep. That does very infrequent publishing. On EA Originals. Yes. Right? Yeah. But Activision Blizzard is the same way. Yep. If we look at any of the major... Ubisoft, Ubisoft. is a label, not a publisher. They used to be a publisher. And I think they've almost leaned into it a little bit with that an Ubisoft original yeah. thing at the beginning. 
Yeah, for sure. So so that's that's fine, but they're a label as well. Mm-hmm. But it's man, that's just that's another hit on Double A. Yep, it's another hit for Double A publishing because there are not many Double A publishers out there. Nope, it's like Focus, Nacon, Nacon, Modus. Eh, they're more triple I. Okay. They do some double A, I think, but man, the the amount of double A publishers is very very small. Yeah, we're it, it's part of it's that middle squeeze. Yeah, the real challenge is that with all of these layoffs at scale and debt being so expensive right now and deals shrinking, we're not going to see the thing that we usually do, which is all of these independent developers who have strong credits to their name coming together and founding independent studios. It's just not going to happen at the same scale as we're used to. Yup. Uh, Riot co-founder and former co-CEO Mark Merrill is stepping into a new role at the company. Riot announced that Merrill will be the company's first chief product officer overseeing all of Riot's games. Interesting. Um, Exola is being sued by its former VP of global accounting. Uh, why? So the suit was brought by um, Emil Aliyev, who was hired in April of this year to ensure that the company was compliant with various financial rules and regulation Regulations. I'm having trouble talking today. My apologies. Turns out that he found some serious shit. He ended up finding out that $40 million was missing from the company's accounts, which he then discovered had been transferred to an account owned by Exola founder Alexander um, Agapitov. Yeah, Agapitov in a supposed, quote, loan. Aliyev told them, told management about this problem and ensuring that they understood that it is, in fact, illegal for Exola to loan um, Agapitov money without charging a standard interest rate. It's, in, it's, it's double dealing. It's insider dealing. It's, yeah, it's bad. But they didn't seem to care. So Aliyev said that he did eventually have a meeting with Agapitov and with the incoming CFO. Um, uh, how do you pronounce it? Kete Marakul. Uh, Marakul I would have gotten, but Kete. Okay. Sorry. I'm really sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. I really do try my best. Um, but was fired three days later for an unspecified violation of company policies. So firing a whistleblower is bad. It's bad, it folks. Is very bad. And now he's fighting back. So obviously, Exola's like, oh, this is not true. We're going to defend ourselves. This is ridiculous. You know, I, I, I feel like I feel like they would. I feel like this guy would not be suing them unless he actually meant business. Uh huh. So, uh, what's next? Crafton and Netties have finally settled their copyright quarrel um, between PUBG and Knives Out. Mm-hmm. So, five years after this copyright dispute regarding PUBG and uh, the mobile game Knives Out, Crafton and Netties have finally reached a friggin' settlement. So, a judge for the San Mateo Superior Court ruled in favor of Crafton, saying the PUBG developer provided ample evidence that Netties breached the previously agreed terms of their contract. In the same breath, the judge argued that Crafton did not, however, justify its demand by for $65 million in damages. So as a reminder, in mid-2018, Crafton claimed that NetEase's two Battle Royale games, both Knives Out and Rules of Survival, quote, closely mimicked the realistic style of PUBG. I and remember spent the, the houses, last... like the pictures of the different buildings. Yeah, because and... we, we covered, on, we covered yeah. it on Game Daily. Yeah. I remember that. And... It's like they've been fighting about this for five years and they finally got there. Like, great. I don't know what's going to come of it, but okay, fine. Mm -hmm. All right. Your next one's yours too. 
You're oh right, these are these are all my stories. All right, so Bloomhouse has has crossed from film to horror games with the additional with the addition of new studio leadership. So Bloomhouse Games has added to its leadership team with two new hires: production lead Joe Lammert and technical director Clint Brewer. Lammert was the director of release management at Private Division, working on titles including The Outer Worlds, Ollie Ollie World, and the BAFTA award-winning Roller Drome. Brewer has been has more than 20 years in engineering roles at NVIDIA, Oculus, EA, Activision, and more. Uh, this one literally just broke last night. It did. Uh, Sony has pulled the plug on The Last of Us Online in a public statement that seems just a little bit off. In the statement, Naughty Dog says, Naughty Dog says that the game, which has been in development for a number of years, is just too ambitious. The studio claims that the reason for the cancellation is that if they released it, they'd need to support it. And if they needed to support it, it would consume all of the studio's resources. Wait a second, wait a second. They didn't realize this nine years ago? This is weird. And I think that they miscalculated here because anybody who understands game development, games as a service, all of that is calling BS on this statement. Um, I've seen a number of very sharp uh, comments fired back about this. Look. The original Last of Us on PS3 released what was effectively a solid, but still bullet point multiplayer. When we talk about bullet point multiplayer real quick, it's a term that we used to use back in the day when every game absolutely had to have multiplayer because Assassin's executives Creed. wanted it. No, Assassin's Creed started it. Assassin's Creed. Well, I mean, they were definitely in there. I don't know if they started it, but they were definitely early on in there. No, I'm pretty sure they started it as a mainstream, like, okay. if Assassin's Creed did it, and they were successful, why are we not doing it? Yeah, Even I mean, if they were not the first ones to bring it to market, they were the ones that made it normal. It was also the beginning of publishers' misunderstanding of what engagement was because they That's felt right. like, oh, we have to have multiplayer as a selling point for this single-player game. So it was often tacked on and it felt tacked on. Unless um, it was Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, which had... That multiplayer, that that uh, that social deduction multiplayer mm. type thing was really mm. great. I spent very many hours playing that multiplayer. I, actually, I loved that yeah, whole trilogy. Lots of slapping. Lots of slapping. Um, so the reason this statement feels off is a couple of things. Number one, you've been in development for a long time. We know that half of the live service games that Sony was developing have either been delayed or canceled yep. based on Bungie was brought on to help with games as a service implementation. Right here, we have a situation where Jim Ryan's on his way out the door. There is yeah. a leadership shift going on inside the company. This really felt like, and you put your finger on it first, that this was a failure to actually find the fun. No matter how great they said it was, no matter how ambitious they said it was, here's the reality of the situation. The finding the fun, and I don't need to tell all of you this, especially if you're a game developer, you know what how challenging it can be to break down your gameplay loop and get to that get to that wow factor. Get mm -hmm. to that wow moment of not only are we fulfilling player stories, not only are we making good on the feel of the single player experience, not only do we need to meet player expectations, but it needs to be enjoyable. It needs to be sticky enough that you want to come back to it and engage with it like day after day, week after week, month after month. So that creates its own problems. On top of that, I don't want to miss this very important piece. Sony has a live service expert sitting in their midst 
is Bungie. Yep. And I would imagine that Bungie likely put their eyeballs on this game and said, this is not going to, this is not going to, to cut it. It's not going to work as a standalone product. There's, you're going to have to support it with content updates. You're gonna, like, Bungie might've been the one to re- to help them realize like, or help Sony and Naughty Dog realize like, you don't have a content roadmap here. There's not a lot you can do for this. What other modes would you want to implement long-term? And ultimately what they probably found was there was a finite life on this that did not bear out the cost. Now, what Naughty Dog said in the statement was, oh, well, we'd have to leverage all of our studio's resources, which would take away from our single-player games. Here's the reality of the situation. You're Sony. If you're sitting on a gold mine, a game that is too fun... And too good. And too good that you simply can't release it. You staff up. You would support that game. Absolutely. But but the reality is, if you're saying, oh, we can't devote resources to this, that is the tell. It's not worth it. Right. That's the tell there. Like, oh, yeah, Yeah. we would have to staff up and then the game would have a finite life and then we would, then it would peter out. The the prospects, the forecast here wasn't good. That's probably what happened. Um, The statement, I will say that that PR statement makes them seem extremely foolish because it reads as, oh, we didn't know we were going to have to support a live service game with, with resources. They're not fools. This is not their first foray into game development. I mean, there's two choices here. Either you didn't know that and you needed a bungee to tell you, guys, you need to be able to support this game long term. And that's going to take both money and content. Which... Or they knew it and they think that everybody's a little silly to believe that. It is likely in the middle. It is likely in the middle because it is likely both realities. If you are primarily a single player focused, narrative driven... um, game kind of studio if that is your bread and butter and it has been your bread and butter for a number of years failing and looking and the only thing that you have to look back on is how successful your first foray into multiplayer was that means that you did not evolve yeah you did not evolve your understanding of the marketplace you did not evolve your understanding of your player base you did not evolve your understanding of live service yeah you- which is okay if you are a single player a single player studio. That is like what you do. Right. But you can't release what was effectively a a mode for the last of us one on PS three as a standalone game and not make significant changes for it to live its own life. No, I agree. Just release it as a mode if that's what you want to do. And therefore you're resetting expectations with players like, Oh, we're releasing this experience. This is it. These are the maps. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, do balance and bug fixes and all that stuff, but we're not going to expand the content of it. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have a bunch of milestones and then one last story in quick hits uh, that is really just setting us up for a conversation next week. So kicking off, Spirity made over $1 million in its opening week. Uh, it's unclear, though, if that's inclusive of the Game Pass deal revenue uh, because it did launch on Game Pass. However, in posting the thread, No More Robots founder Micro stepped in it in multiple ways. Number one, he didn't actually mention the developer's name. It's a solo dev. Didn't mention them at all. Spirity, You're the publisher. Just to be clear, Spirity is dope. Yep. It is a dope game. If you haven't played it, it's like, it's a, it's a creepy little management sim, but like also spirited away. Mm-hmm. It's like spirited away, folks. But in a management sim, play this damn game. It's good. Yep. Uh, I, I would tell you who the developer is, but I, I, I didn't look it up and Mike didn't mention it. Um, he also really frustrated the content creation community because he was staunchly, I'm not going to pay YouTubers to make videos. Why are we not getting videos? I guess that's what you have Cheese to do. Cheese Master Games. Cheese Master Games. All right. Cheese Master Thank Games. Thank you for looking I think up. it's. I think it's really important that we understand Yeah, I'm really glad you did. From. It's just I forgot to do it. They mm-hmm. are, like, this game is really, really, really special. Yep. So play the game. I don't care where you play it. I don't care how you play it. But 
Play the game. Yep. It's really good. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Look, my, my job right now is in influencer marketing. I have gained a, a new appreciation over the years since I was a journalist afraid for... Uh, afraid a little bit, but also frustrated because content creators and journalists are not the same thing. There's room for both. There is room for both because they serve different purposes, just like there's room for us. We are not journalists anymore. No, we we're are analysts. not. We're not influencers. We're analysts. Yep. That's what we do. There's room for us too. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I guess what I want to say is content creators, uh, if you want them to make videos of your game and you want them to do it on a specific timetable uh, and you want those videos to be a specific type of approach through a specific angle, you're going to have to pay for it because here's pay the thing. The money. Content creators, that's their job. That's literally You're paying their for job. their time. You're yeah. paying for their work. You're paying for their effort. You're you're also in theory you're paying for their access, their reach. Yeah, you're right? paying, yeah. That it's is what, part of marketing. That's part of your marketing. So the time has passed where you can just expect people to make videos of your games. But here's the thing, you shouldn't just expect people to make videos of your game even if it's through just an organic campaign because an organic campaign is like a key campaign. So it's like, oh, I requested a code for this game. Oh, I got a code for this game. You know, yeah, you should probably do something with that code. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you're under no obligation about when to do it, how to speak about the game. And, and yeah. I don't mean like, oh, you have to be positive about it because you shouldn't be mandating that people be positive about your game. Agreed. Uh, you should, in fact, be targeting people who have an affinity to the type of game that you are creating. However, allowing them to speak their minds. Yep. But also and, and allowing them to do do their work. Now, if you pay somebody, yes, you can set a set of obligations. You should do it in this window. It should be this long. You should do this number of videos. And you're paying them for that. You're making it, you're, you're entering into a business arrangement with them that is a very different nature than just handing out an organic uh, code. So um, my door is open. And I've mentioned this to Mike as well. I'm here, a former journalist. I understand where he's coming from. I understand why he has the mindset. Because we both did. Yes. We all have. In fact, anybody that worked, most of us that worked in the media for a long time before influencers became really popular and quite frankly, integral. Yeah. And before the FTC really, really cracked down because that was part of the problem. That was, was part of our issue with it is that there was no disclosure. Yep. And, you know, we, we prided, like Mike and I especially prided ourselves on ensuring that those ethical lines were never crossed. Yep, absolutely. So, like, we've been there. We're not those people anymore because we have been content creators, mm -hmm. right? We have been tastemakers. And that's, there. Like, like we keep saying, there's room for both because they both serve different purposes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, and we have a number of uh, milestones. What's next? We do indeed. I think it might be time for me to finally sit down and play a Plague Tale Requiem. I know you love the first one. I, I know you loved love Innocence. Innocence so much. It was such a great game. What I knew, And you know what I said back in the day? I said, this is going to be a cult hit. Yep. Mark my words, it's going to be a cult hit. And I was right. And I love to be right about this stuff. Because this stuff means that more people get to play cool games and the developer gets more money and the developer gets to keep doing what they're, mm -hmm. what they're best at. And I fucking love to see it. So a Plague Tale Requiem hit 3 million players. Good for this studio. Yep. Uh, 20 million people have played the original Life is Strange. Love That's that too. awesome. That's yep. super cool. And now Don't Nod uh, has announced a game that looks very much like uh, Life is Strange, but Square Enix owns the IP. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's a very Don't Nod game that looks like looks, a very Life is Strange awesome. game without being a Life is Strange game. It looks awesome. I, I'm very excited about it. When I... That was one of the few things at the Game Awards that I was, like, really psyched about. Mm 
Monopoly Go has made history as the biggest mobile game launch of 2023, reaching $1 billion in revenue, as well as 100 million downloads. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Naraka Blade Point has now reached 40 million players, according to developer 24 Entertainment. Dead by Daylight, which just added murder doll Chucky to the game, has reached a whopping 60 million players. Um, We're going to have a lot of bad Embracer news again in the labor report, but here's a bit of good Embracer news. Uh, Saber Interactive published Teardown, which just released on consoles, has hit 2.5 million players. It's available on PS Plus in the extra and premium tiers. You know what? Good for them. Yep. The Teardown, I've heard nothing but good things about the Teardown Mm -hmm. devs. I really have. God of War Ragnarok has now sold 15 million copies. Uh, Human Fall Flat has sold more than 50 million units worldwide. You want to talk about a game that our kids love. Vivi especially. She loves Human Fall Flat. Cyberpunk 2077 is now just about done, I guess, finally. It only took them an additional three years. The next update will be its final one as the team turns to other games, including the next Witcher title. The first and only expansion for the game, Phantom Liberty, has now sold 4.3 million units. Yep. And we're closing out uh, Quick Hits with this little bit, uh, and there's a reason why we're relegating it to Quick Hits. We'll talk a little bit more next week. We will. Uh, The writing has been on the wall for years, but the ESA has officially taken E3 out back behind the shed. They have indeed. The show, which ran for more than 20 years, suffered from major companies abandoning it, a massive identity crisis, and an inability to keep up after the pandemic showed publishers they can do it themselves without the exorbitant costs. Now, we will talk a little bit more. We will talk a lot more about E3 next week because, quite frankly, for a number of years, it was my favorite show. Mm -hmm. I really liked it, too. E3 was a favorite among a lot of North American developers, publishers, um, content creators, journalists, critics, analysts, like a lot of us, E3 was our, before the game awards, E3 was our celebration. Mm -hmm. It was our celebration in Los Angeles every year where we got to enjoy the spectacle that was video games. Yep. Um, This is concerning, however, because Jeff Keighley now controls three major events. Summer Game Fest, uh, Gamescom opening night, and the Game Awards. So we're going to... Surely you mean Winter Game Fest, right? Well, I think that's a better name for it, quite frankly. Um, And I think there's something to be done there. Um, Even if the ESA stinks and the ESA does, in fact, stink, uh, this isn't great. You you mean when they... When they they doxed people? When they helped dox me in the summer of 2019 and we broke that news? Yep, absolutely. Uh, All right. And with that... And those were quick hits... We're going to take another quick break because the labor report is going to hurt. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we're back. All right. So this is actually the last big section. We, we're going to save our listener questions for next week because uh, we know this episode is going to run long. So if you can't stomach it's the okay. labor report, it's okay to bounce out here. Just know we love you. We understand. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. For those that want to sit with us while we go through and wade into this massacre, um, 
Here we Stay go. Stay with us. We're gonna we're gonna jump right in. All right. First up, Humble Games has laid off an undisclosed number of employees as part of restructuring efforts. This is the second round of layoffs at Humble since the economy started to reopen. The first layoffs happened in April 2022. 505 Games owner Digital Bros has initiated a massive reorganization that will cost 30 percent of its employees their jobs. Digital Bros employed about 440 people before the layoffs, meaning that around 130 people have been affected so far. Most of the affected employees will be coming from within owned studios. Mike, you specifically pointed out this graph, so I want you to take yeah. this. Yeah, so quote, the video game market has evolved since the pandemic to be more selective in terms of new games, with consumers increasingly reverting to well-established intellectual properties and playing those these same games for longer periods. Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, so to me... What I'm reading in this is that this was a cyclical behavior because this is cyclical behavior. We talked about that earlier in the show, right? We did indeed. Later on in the console generation, and again, PC is just a straight through line, yeah, but yeah. it but it does it is affected by console generations. It is. It indeed. is affected by because of you know if a game is going to come out on console and it's multi platform, releasing it on PC makes sense, right? Okay. Sure, sure. So it's cyclical behavior. It's entirely predictable. And they didn't plan for it. And that sounds extremely familiar across corporations right now. So that really if frustrated me. If you do me. not understand this industry's history, you are doomed to repeat it every single time. And boy, How, does this industry sure love to repeat that Well, history. and see, that's the big issue here is, is that on top of that, it is failing to train up. It is failing to keep the knowledge and pieces of that is because the media grinds out its grinds out the people that have been in there the longest, the people that were reporting on this years ago that have this knowledge that can put corporate feet to the fire because all that knowledge is lost. I, I find it so amazing how many times I see reports about things that are cyclical or or and it's just like the wide-eyed like wow why is this happening because we don't have the through line no we don't have the through we line we don't have the through because line because journalism underpays people and drives them out it does absolutely and then the, it's not the next it's not the next generation of journalists fault they nope. don't do anything like there's nobody to show them there's nobody there's to talk no to them there's to nobody to talk to them about this like, stuff when you and I you and I have been together with people who are younger and we start recounting our stories and we start explaining the cyclical nature stuff, people are like, wow, I never knew that. And it's like, that's well, because we, it's because we don't have a healthy industry journalism. We don't, especially on the business side. No, And, and like, it's not to say that people aren't doing good work, no, but that's so not many their people, fault. There's so many people out there doing exceptional work and big shout out to the indie media sites out there, yep. especially, especially Aftermath, like loving the stuff that they're mm -hmm. doing, like genuinely loving it. And it's, it's not, it's not anybody's fault. Other than corporate media. Yep. Like, let's be real here. So this, the cyclical nature that we keep seeing over and over again is because not just that we don't have, you know, media that has a through line. It is also because so many of these business people, they are either new to games mm -hmm. or they don't understand the history because they feel like they don't have to. It doesn't apply to them or they just don't. They, they're they're incurable optimists. You can't just be like you have to be an optimist to be an entrepreneur. Just to be clear, I know that I've been an entrepreneur since I was what sixteen years old. I've been doing like I have been running businesses for a very very long time. You have to be an optimist. You have to believe in yourself. You have to be the only person in the room that is your biggest fan sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
but not when thousands of people are depending on you. Yeah. Not when you are the steward of a massive corporation and you have to drive this ship even in hard times. And we will definitely talk about that uh, later on in the Labor Report. Uh, next up, Congregate, which publishes browser games, has laid off about a dozen people across departments. Phoenix Labs has laid off 34 people. The layoffs have hit publishing, HR, IT, and shared services, according to the studio. Phoenix Labs says that the teams, the game, the game's teams were not affected, and Fave Farm's upcoming DLC, as well as Dauntless's updates, are still moving ahead as scheduled. This is the second round of layoffs to hit the studio this year, with 9% of the team affected in May. Uh, all right. This, again, we mentioned earlier, we're just laying it out super factually. Uh, Tiny Build has laid off an undisclosed number of people. Um, at least 17. At least 17. Uh, we know it is more than that, though. We do. Um, based on additional reports coming from other parts of the world that were not hackjack. Um, the company has settled a lawsuit brought by the founder of Versus Evil, Steve Escalante. Uh, Tiny Build acquired Versus Evil. And there were some obligations uh, that were allegedly not met which is why Escalante brought suit. Escalante and others brought suit against Tiny Build, actually, for breach of material obligations and failure to make timely compensation payments. Tiny Build will pay $3.5 million in cash plus legal costs to the claimants. In that same statement that Tiny Build put out to investors, they are looking for uh, a very rapid $10 million uh, fundraise uh, for the company. Okay. And that is all we're going to say about that. All, very factual, just right down the line. Yep. Codemaster. So, and another example of consolidation is bad. EA has laid off an unknown number of people at Codemasters after less than two years of corporate stewardship. Quote, our business is constantly changing as we strive to deliver amazing games and services that keep our players engaged, connected, and inspired. This is according to a statement provided to IGN from an EA spokesperson. Apparently Need for Speed Unbound, which is a gem of a game, by the way, did not make the impact that they'd hoped after Codemasters Cheshire was merged with Criterion to continue work on the series. It's important to remember that this is not the first mass layoff that EA has carried out this year alone. 6% of its workforce was out of work as of March 2023, followed by QA testers being cut in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then 50 workers at BioWare being ousted, which, is, which was followed up by filing a lawsuit against the publisher seeking better severance compensation. We will never stop beating this damn drum. If you fail to plan for economic downturns and just spend, spend, spend when times are good and interest rates are low, you are actually bad at business. That's fair. Speaking of bad at business, Embracer's still at it. We have multiple pieces of bad news this week that we warned you about. So I'm just going to run through them. First, 50 employees from Chorus developer Fish Labs have been laid off. Chorus was the space shooter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Embracer has closed the recently resurrected UK studio Free Radical Design after completing a consultation period in the UK, the way this works, and in other countries. Most civilized countries. That don't have at-will employment. The way this works is, oh, we're going to shut down your studio, we're going to have a mass layoff. They have to take 30-day cooling-off period in order to explore other options. Selling the studio, um, finding new projects, work for hire, you know, things like that. Anything that might preserve jobs. Co-development, that kind of thing. Yep, exactly. Uh, they completed the consultation period and the studio was closed. Uh, Free Radical was working on a new Time Splitters game. This one hurts me this personally. Hurts. Um, this marks another 80 people out of work 
at an Embracer owned studio, and we're not done yet. No, we are not. Uh, we've gotten word this week that layoffs have hit 3D Realms and Slipgate Ironworks. Uh, working, this was like yesterday. It was yesterday. Working days are in the single digits before the holidays, and Embracer is laying people off. This is cruel. Yep. Uh, and finally, Embracer has confirmed significant layoffs at New World Interactive, which is under Saber Interactive. Saber says it is trying to find as many employees' jobs within the organization. It was initially reported that the studio is being shut down, but that is incorrect, folks. And this is, I'm speaking to you journalists. Stop it. Stop jumping the gun to scoop. Confirm your details. Confirm your sources. At least two sources, independent sources, if not three. Do not jump the gun on things like studio closures. You are playing with people's livelihoods and you are playing with their mental health. And if you are re-reporting... Do your own research. Email the company. Ask for a statement. Don't just blindly report. No, just talk to Corpcoms, folks. If you do not, if if you're if you're relatively new to how it works when it comes to reporting on things like layoffs, is you've got to go talk to Corpcoms. Yep. Your corporate communications liaison is going to be the person that you need to chat with so that you can confirm numbers if they're able to disclose. But most importantly, so you can determine the determine the validity of the statements so that it is not just you relying on somebody else's word. Yep. Always do your own research. It's really, really important. It's your, when Mr. And misreporting does happen and it's happened to all of us. God knows I've yeah, misreported totally. things. Mistakes happen. Mistakes always happen. And it is genuinely 3000% okay. But this was egregious. Yep. Oh, and if you update your story and your headline no longer matches the facts, change your freaking headline. Yeah, don't worry about SEO. SEO is not the important thing here, people. It's really not. No, the right thing is to do right by labor. That is correct. We do right by labor because we're all in this together. Yep. We are all in this together. All right. This one, this one sucked. This one hurts. This one really, really hurt. But let's talk about League of Geeks for a second. This is the team behind the most excellent Armello. This was, this was a game that I actually helped kickstart back when I was in my break, um, from game journalism. So I took a break in 2013 and 2014 because my kids were really small. So our, our youngest children were very little. Um, so Armello, amazing. Love it. Just wanted to make sure I disclosed that. League of Geeks has announced that it has laid off 50% of its team. However, this is a masterclass in how to do something that is so painful, that is so heartbreaking, that is so gut-wrenching with an immensity of compassion. And I'm not surprised, even in the least, because League of Geeks is full to the brim of not just technically capable developers that are intensely creative and talented, but a leadership team that is the most, that that are the warmest, the kindest, the most shrewd, quite frankly, business developers in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I and I do not say that lightly. I really yep. don't because we know a lot of great studios out there. Summerfall Studios is also up there for mm-hmm. me. So <clears throat> on social media, the studio leadership posted the news and shared that poor early access sales of its second game, Jump Light Odyssey, contributed to the situation along with a weakened Australian dollar. I get that. I'm Canadian. When the Canadian dollar suffers, whole damn country suffers. The game's full release on PC and console has been put on hold indefinitely. However, the game is still on sale with 50% of the profits from its sale for the next 12 months or so until development is resumed going to the team, including the team that are no longer at the it's studio. Just, it's really ethical. It's it's beautiful. 
Yep. This is a beautiful way to handle it. This is with so much heart and so much compassion and, you know, I'm getting like, I'm my, I'm tearing up because this, this is just so meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, League of Geeks says that the development of its other title, Solium Inferno is not affected. That game is scheduled to release on February 14th. Please continue to support. Yeah, I don't know Armello. anything about this game, but I'm going to go buy Jump Light Odyssey because I want to support this team. Me too. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm absolutely going to do that. Support League of Geeks. You know, give them all of your love if you have jobs that are out there. And quite frankly, if you have jobs for my stu former studio mates, hit me up on LinkedIn. I will. I've given recommendations to every last one of them. These are some of my favorite people that I've ever worked with. So keep that love going, and and if you can. Do your part, reshare, repost, yep. reach out, do resume and portfolio reviews. Like just, just keep this love going because this development, because when you're a developer, we're all in this together and developers are some of the most generous and kind people on the planet. Awesome. Yep. It's true. All right. Hasbro has announced layoffs numbering about 1100 people, 1100 people out of work two weeks before Christmas. The company cites soft toy sales coming out of the pandemic boom as the driving force, and the layoffs amount to 17% of the Hasbro workforce that numbered about 6,500 prior to this. And we can't forget that this is on top of 800 people losing their jobs at the company earlier this year. 1,900 people in 2023. It's horrifying. It is. So I spent a little bit of extra time on this story about Studio Papukaya mm -hmm. because there was a really interesting piece um, a real, sorry, there was a really interesting post on LinkedIn from their CEO mm -hmm. that I really wanted to talk about. So Helsinki based Papukaya, a mobile studio, a mobile game studio backed by Supercell has announced that it is shutting down. This was originally announced on a post on LinkedIn by the studio's CEO, Drusilla Holanda. Quote, Papukaya was founded in 2020 with the goal of creating new mobile game experiences for an increasingly diverse audience of people who don't identify as gamers. Mm. This was followed up by Papukaya's game lead, Colin Foss. Papukaya is shutting down. It's a bittersweet moment. It's sad to let go, but I'm excited for the future and I'm proud of what we accomplished. So I want to follow this up. This is, this is again from uh, Drusilla Holanda. This is a really great statement. We've explored many outside-of-the-box concepts, for example, a multiplayer dating sim, a photorealistic bed-and-breakfast fantasy where you interact with character stories, new puzzle mechanics. In three years, we've, we've output 12-plus prototypes, seven projects, and two live releases. I'm proud of our boldness to try different ideas and put them into the hands of players as quickly as possible. Very smart. Mm -hmm. However, making games is hard, and making games without blueprints, with a more experimental approach, proved to be extremely difficult, especially for a market that has become more and more challenging to newcomers and where user acquisition has become a whole other game to crack on top of the actual game itself. As I started to understand the nature of the beast, I had to ask myself bigger questions. Is the free-to-play space really the most conducive to what we set out to do? Am I even the right leader to set us up for success in this context? It was tempting to ignore these thoughts and keep pushing forward with blind optimism, but I ultimately reached the conclusion that the wisest decision for the company is to pull the brakes and recalibrate. We wish Papukaya's crew a soft landing in the game industry in 2024 and beyond. And quite frankly, that statement from Drusilla was really beautiful. And it was very, very introspective. And it is rare that we get to see the thought process that goes behind something like this and still have 
other people, mm-hmm. like other people at the studio saying, this was great. I really enjoyed my time. What a wonderful studio. I can't wait for the future, but I'm really proud of us. Yeah. So that's, that's good stuff. Yep. Despite the heartbreak. Yeah, we still have some to go, unfortunately. We do indeed. Um, triple topping. The studio behind Welcome to Elk, Inglet, and Dead Pets Unleashed is closing. That's such a bummer. Yep. Studio founder Astrid Refstra posted the news on social media platforms that the company has filed for bankruptcy. Dead Pets Unleashed will still be coming out, and Refstrip says that there are plans to find homes for the studio's other games. Welcome to Elk is very cool. Mm-hmm. And it was it was showcased, I think, last year mm-hmm. during Summer Games Fest. And it was just like, it's such an interesting concept. I haven't had the chance to play it yet, but I think I bought it. I just, man, I love indie games so much. I really do. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Rovio has announced that it is closing Montreal-based studio Lumi. You may recall that Rovio was uh, acquired by Sega this year. The layoffs affect 16 staff members, but executives working at the studio on behalf of the larger organizations will, of course, keep their jobs. Studio Lumi was working on PC and console games for Rovio, and development on an unannounced project has been canceled. All right. Next two were yours. Go for it. I suppose so. So um, an unfair labor practice complaint has been filed by the Communication Workers of America. In this ULP, it accuses... Well, say, we didn't, you didn't mention what the story was, did you? Yes, I'm about to go into it. Oh, okay. I'm you about didn't say to, that it was about Sega. It is about Sega, yep. yes. That's what we're going to talk okay. about. So Sega is doing the thing. Okay. They're doing weird stuff. Got it. What, what would you... Oh, just, just so I'm clear, it needed to be Sega threatens labor. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. Is no. that what we wanted? No, but I I'm think not Sega... Like, but starting with an unfair labor practice complaint has been filed by the Communication Workers of America. I didn't. Know. It accuses Sega. Okay. All right. Of allegedly telling employees that their jobs would be offshore to both Japan and Europe rather than bargaining over the layoffs, which they are in the midst of enacting, uh-huh. directly with the union. So, yes, it does involve Sega. Gotcha. So, according to a report by Kotaku, quote, on November 6th, Sega delivered a proposal to, quote, phase out all temporary workers by February 2024, many of whom are in, what? Quality assurance uh-huh. and localization. Um, and this was, I, I guess, because of the Allied Employees Guild Improving Sega, or Aegis CWA. Hmm. The union currently represents over 200 employees across marketing, sales, product development, and a smattering of other cohorts and departments. The, these layoffs would impact 40% of this group, or around 80 unionized employees. But instead of bargaining with the union, Sega went right to the workers oh. to tell them their fate, which is, in fact, a labor violation. The NLRB will review the unfair labor practice uh, complaint, but it's important to note that it may not be resolved in time to prevent these mass layoffs. God, this sucks. It fucking sucks. This is terrible. I have Ajita. You know what? That's fair. I understand. So Niantic has lost in court where they were trying to force femme-facing employees into arbitration over sexual harassment and pay disparity. And all I can say to that is good. Fuck arbitration. Yeah, especially in this case. Especially in this case. The affected femme-facing employees will be able to pursue a class action lawsuit against Niantic. The court effectively put the brakes on all three of Niantic's defenses to compel the women into individual arbitration, to strike the class act- the class allegations, and to prevent them from pursuing their claims as a class. 
and to stay all proceedings pending the outcome of the arbitration. So that's all the stuff that they were trying to do to get these employees, these former employees, to come to heel. The suit alleges that Niantic had a gender-based hostile work environment in which women were systemically devalued and experienced both, they experienced pervasive discrimination as well as retaliation. This is, you know, surprising, but also not surprising at the same time. It is 2023, you absolute goons. Get it together. This is not challenging. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are not buzzwords. This is how you build strong corporate culture, strong company identity, and this is how you ensure that the games that are coming out every year and that are reflective of the marketplace in general, this is how you make money. Layoffs are not how you win. DEI is how you win. Yep. Let me finish this up. Okay. According to a statement provided by the suit's legal counsel, the plaintiffs, quote, filed their suit in July of 2023, alleging that pay discrimination, retaliation, silencing, and systemic sexual bias were standard operating procedure at Niantic. The suit alleges that female employees with more seniority and working at higher level positions were frequently paid less than male counterparts in violation of equal pay laws, yet suffered retaliation when they raised the issue with executives. The suit also details how one plaintiff administered an employee survey to which many respondents described a toxic, quote, boys club culture at the company. In response, the suit alleges Niantic's DEI director chastised the plaintiff for raising unequal pay concerns and for discussing pay with her fellow employees. Subsequently, female employees were instructed not to use the term boys club and instructed to report anyone who did. Gross. The DEI director people, I, I wish any company that does this to their workers a very, very good go gently into that good night and good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. A bunch of wankerous, cantankerous, Buffoons. There. <laughs> Watch Spirited on Apple TV. It's fabulous. Not sponsored content. Not just, sponsored just a good content. Recommendation. We, just, we just really love that movie. All right. Two more stories, and uh, we're ending on a slightly more hopeful note. Uh, CD Projekt has voluntarily recognized the Polish Game Dev Workers Union. Uh, this is especially good news for a studio that has become known for Brutal Crunch. The union covers multiple studios, most of which have not yet been identified. Uh, and the group hopes that CDPR's decision to voluntarily recognize the union paves the way for more studios in the country to recognize the labor group. We love to see it. Yep. And finally, the QA staff at Xbox, um, Xbox support dev Xperis, sorry, has successfully voted to unionize. We love to see it, especially at Xbox, which has promised to remain labor neutral and seems to be making good on that. Mm -hmm. On Friday, December 1st, 83% of the group voted in the union's favor. The 42-person team of test associates, software test engineers, and data software anal analysts are in the midst of negotiating a contract, according to the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 10. Woo! Really glad that we're seeing additional... Like, unionization is going to... It's past time it was a necessity. It's based on, on everything this year, and I'm glad that we're seeing more and more of it happening at the AAA level. Yep, it's it's where it needs to be. I, I want to see it happening on, on an indie scale as well. Mm -hmm. If workers deserve protections and workers have been exploited year after year for too many years and it's enough. 
Yep. Enough is enough. So this has been a 30 minute bloodbath of a labor report. And folks, we don't anticipate it getting any better anytime my, soon. My dream is that I'm wrong and we have no labor to talk I, about next week. Genuinely, I also hope that we're wrong. I, I like being wrong about these things. I, I, I really, I like being right about good stuff and I love being wrong about bad stuff. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, so that's it. That's us for this week. Yep. We do have one more. We are going to record next week to wrap up the year. Again, it's going to be an off format episode for the most part. It's going to be a lot of discussion. A lot of discussion. And we're going to, we actually are going to talk about things that we love. We're going to, we don't do that that often on this show, but we're going to do because that Because we're not week. a, we're not a video game we're podcast. We're not a video game or board game podcast, but I'm going to be talking about board games. I'm going to be talking about video games. I'm going to be talking about Netrunner. Come play Netrunner with me. Um, you know, I'm right here, right? Come play Netrunner. I was talking to you. Come play Netrunner with me. You have me playing too many things. I do. Also, we're doing uh, Destiny 2. The dawning's happening right now. Mix- mixing a batch of cookies. I'm very excited. I I like cozy things. Yeah. And also, I need to bake in real life, too. Yep. All right. That's it. We did it. That is. We absolutely did it. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Virtual Economy Podcast. I mean, we're not really on Twitter very much ourselves these days, but I we'll continue. I will still post the show there. That's right. So you can follow the show on Twitter at virtual econcast we're like we're on blue sky we don't post on virtual economy very often other than to promote the show but i'm on blue sky quite a bit Mm -hmm. so on blue sky we are virtual economy.bsky.social i am ritualmagic.bsky.social so that's with a w in front of the r so like writing Mm -hmm. ritual magic and And, uh i'm footerish.bsky.social that's f-u-t-t-e-r-i-s-h uh, we, uh, also post the show on LinkedIn on the F squared account. And I, I repost it on mine every week. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can also subscribe to the RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com if that's how you'd prefer to listen to the show. But you can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Pocket Cast, and I don't have the heart to do the other thing this nope, week. Nope, not this week. Yeah. So, uh, please subscribe and if possible, review the show. We'd love to know what you think. You can DM us with questions on Twitter, or you can get at us on Blue Sky um, to send us questions. You can also DM us on Discord. You know, Mike is your footer on, yep, on, Discord. on Discord. I am Ritual Magic on Discord. I do have friend requests open, so if yep. you, you want to send me DMs or anything like that, you definitely can. Just be nice to me. I'm a soft girl. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very soft and sensitive, so take good care of me. Um... But more than that, you can also email us. You can email podcast at fsquared.biz. I will say the most uh, frequent way for us to get listener questions is through Discord, though. We'd love to have you join the community. Absolutely. You can just, uh, you can DM me uh, at Footerish on Twitter. I will see that. Uh, Or you can DM the Virtual Economy account uh, and we'll get you a Discord invite. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can can just reach out on Discord and we can get you an invite. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely don't mind doing that. So... That's us for this week. We will be back next week. But in the meantime, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon.